Hello everyone, this is Nathaniel Goodman, your Biggie Broadcast host, landing here at the Biggie Studio at Pleasanton High for another great PHS podcast. As we continue with the theme of our podcast, which is what makes PHS great, we'll be hearing from the perspective of present and past culinary masters. Our guests today include our current culinary arts student, Senior Alexander Castillo, and a graduate of the class of 1997, Chef Becca Gutierrez Schaefer, who started her own catering business. Let's hear what they have to say. First up is Alexander Castillo, class of 2021. Well, Alexander, I want to thank you for coming on with us today um, for the podcast. How are you doing today? Pretty good. All right, so we're going to get started, jump right in. Uh, what do you like best about being in the culinary program? Uh, mainly cooking, all the stuff. Uh, free food? Free food, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest, food always tastes better when you make it yourself. Oh, yeah, definitely. Unless you burn it. <laughs> Unless you burn it, yeah. Definitely. Was there like a specific moment where you just kind of decided that you wanted to do like culinary, you wanted to cook as yeah. your job? Definitely. Was it- yeah, um, back when I was about 10 years old. Oh like, man, this is like childhood. Like- yeah. I was watching the Pioneer Woman oh. uh, when I was younger. And uh, my aunt was like seeing that I was watching it and... I told her, I want to learn how to cook. So she showed me how to make scrambled eggs, which I never knew how to make at the time. And we would put the eggs, whisk them, put milk, butter, and then put it all on the pan and then just make it. And that's what kind of just got me into uh, culinary itself. And then it just went downhill from and there. And it just went downhill from there, yeah. <laughs> and but now look at you, man. Like you're ma- you're working in a restaurant style kitchen in the culinary room. You're doing good. I mean, things have certainly gotten better when it comes to cooking for you, rather than worse. Definitely. I understand that you've already applied to culinary school. Um, where did you apply, and like, why did you choose there out of all the different li- the list of schools in America? I did apply to culinary in. Culinary Institute of America in San Antonio. Oh, crap. The one, that's the one at the Pearl, right? The brewery yeah. or whatever? Dang. And I just wanted to learn just more about culinary arts, but I decided that I might try taking a new path in my future. Man. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> what has been like the most memorable meal that you've made throughout working with the culinary class? The culinary, the culinary class itself. Yeah, like in the classroom in that beautiful kitchen we have. Oh my god, I love it. the <laughs> first day. I wa- the first day I walked in, I saw that. I was like, guys, guys, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the most memorable foods that we made was my sophomore year when I was in there. We made uh, pretty decent sized pizzas. I made my own where it was uh, Hawaiian. Because um, I like Hawaiian right. pizza. I respect that. If you like your pineapple on pizza, that's cool. Yeah. Broccoli, on the other hand, I will fight you. <laughs> broccoli. <laughs> I know people who put broccoli on pizza. It, it hurts like to look I at. I don't think I would ever. I mean, I would try it. Once. I would try it once and then maybe never try it again. <laughs> <laughs> never look at it again. Yeah. I remember that one, actually, because I, w- I was a freshman and when we did that one. Yeah. And uh, I was the only kid in the class that uh, decided, you know what? I'm going to make stuffed crust. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. 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 I, I think I tried doing that like the very next year. Yeah. I remember we made the pizza this year and um, I remember I tried to make a calzone and it just about worked, but not quite. <laughs> I did the same thing and mine came out like perfect, dude. Dude, my cheese wasn't melted all the way though. That's what made me uh, upset. Like, like, cause you know, I had to use the shredded cheese. I bit into it and like it was good, but I could feel like the individual like pieces, even though it was all stuck together. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it was still you delicious. Must have not, uh, like baked it all the way. Yeah, I think that because um, I, mine went in like I think second to last, so I think they pulled mine out a little bit early by accident. I mean, like I said, though, it was it was still good. <laughs> yeah, I know that we do a lot of the catering for the um. For school the, board, not, yeah. For all the, what are some of the other events? Because I know about the school board. Um, uh, we went and did that. I think it's still on the website, actually. It might be. It might be. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, same here. I mean, we looked good in those coats, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like them. Yeah, so what are some of the other events? Like, there's the counselors, right? The counselor meeting? The counselors, yeah. yeah. Um, those are the only two they've really had us do, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, Back last year, they didn't really 
make us do much like this. Like we had to bake for the band um, bake sale that one time. Remember, like we yeah. had all the cookies and yeah, all. Yeah, we became, did all that. Oh yeah, dude, that was fun. And all that, especially because I mean, we got cookies. We can't oh, complain yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make some good but cookies. We got something coming up this Tuesday. We got another school board, right? Um, uh, not school board. Next uh, next Tuesday, I think so. Yeah, because remember we're doing the um, the Hispanic. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Mexican food. Yeah. Um. My favorite. I'm so excited for that, dude. Oh, it's same here. Oh, yeah. I mean, living in Georgia for six years and coming back to Texas and having actual Mexican food. <laughs> <sighs> oh, yeah. It's great. Oh, yeah. I've um, been here all my life, and that's all I really eat. I mean, you can't complain about that. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> Especially when you have Mexican grandmas. Oh, you can't you can't complain about the food or you ain't eating nothing. Yeah, exactly. You someone if you if you're complaining about it, someone ain't cooking it right. Oh yeah. What do you hope to do after you graduate with your culinary degree? Like, is there a specific um, restaurant you want to work for? Uh, do you want to open your own something like that? Mainly, I would rather I would either want to work in a very high end restaurant or team up with a friend of mine and open up our own business. That would be cool. Like you that thinking, would be. You thinking catering? You thinking bakery? Like just a full blown like restaurant? Like we got here? It's more of a cafe. Oh, okay. So that's actually really cool. Yeah, um, I'll be. We were talking about it today, actually, and uh, I would be the chef, obviously. Oh yeah, dude. She would be the baker. There you go. And yeah. Uh, I don't know what yeah. else you see in a cafe. I don't really go coffee. to coffee. Yeah, <laughs> get someone that can make you something more than just black. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like get some cream and sugar in there, hopefully, because you know. Yeah. I mean, experience like barista. Exper- barista, yeah. There you That's go. a fun word to say. <laughs> yeah, but um, I I actually was looking at something similar to that just for fun. Um, Coffee shops, mm-hmm. I've always loved them, and I'm, I've been looking at how hard it is to open one yourself. Oh, yeah. It's pretty. The main machine alone costs like 30 grand and up, dude. It, it's it's horrifying it's to look at. It's a lot of money, but oh, yeah. if you can get it go, up and going, it's worth it in the long run. Oh, yeah, especially in a place like San Antonio, like a oh, bigger yeah, that, city. That's always busy. You'll always oh, see yeah. a lot of people there. Especially in the mornings when everyone's going to work, because... I don't know if you've actually looked up, but we've got a lot of skyscrapers in San Antonio. Oh, yeah. (sighs) Office jobs. of America, all that. Oh, yeah. The only place I've seen that was taller is Dallas. (laughs) Oh, I've never been to Dallas. I need to go there. Yeah, my grandparents live up there. Um, Did they have this one building? Um, It's like a bank. Mm -hmm. But the thing is... You know how some some have like the white lights edging the trim and things like that. Mm-hmm. This one is bright green. Oh, <laughs> and like they'll change the colors every once in a while. Like for Christmas, I think they had like red and green, and like they just—it's so cool. Honestly, it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. And now we're gonna expand a little bit on the theme of our podcast, which I don't know if you've listened to us yet, but our whole theme is that what makes PHS great to each person here. You know, so for you, what? makes PHS like I said great like what kind of makes it stand out in your mind what when you think about the school I, I like the all the activities extracurricular activities that you can do during school like any like per se the culinary program I, I love that we have that all the computer uh, Class. classes yeah oh, yeah like the um um, audio video, yeah, it, like the Biggie News, um, yeah, all that animation. I took that last year. Did you? <laughs> I feel so bad for Miss Pacheco. If you're listening, we miss you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it, that was a wonderful class. Like learning how to run all that and ROTC. Um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of classes that everybody who are into those kind of things can just do those classes. And have fun. I mean, like, you look at a career path, and they're and you say, "I want to do this when I grow up." And they say, "We have this, 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 this." You know, like it's really cool to come and see that they're there's a variety. It's not just the usual. You have college. You have army. Have fun. Like yeah, you got to pick between one or the other. And then here we have 
Like, if you want to go straight into their workforce, yeah. they have, like, classes for that. They have the welding classes, the ag classes. Yeah, all, all of the classes. Then they have athletics, all of that. If you're, you want to pursue any type of sport. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that like, we have a variety. I have never heard of a high school golf team until I came here. Really? Honestly, and, like, it blows my mind because golf? Uh, I kind of like golf. Golf is interesting to me. I... I've never played. My dad's played once and then complained, <laughs> and then complained for a week about his shoulder. <laughs> I played mini golf. <laughs> right there, you go. I played putt putt. I played mini golf a couple years ago. It's kind of fun. <laughs> I played mini golf once when I was seven. I'm an expert. <laughs> but yeah, so it's wonderful to see how supportive the school is of every workforce, no matter what it is. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, no recording with us, AJ. Um, it's nice to be able to laugh along a little bit with someone while they're on. See you around. See you tomorrow in culinary. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's try not to burn down the kitchen, yeah? <laughs> no promises. No promises. And now let's hear from Becca Gutierrez Schaefer, class of 1997. Hi there. Is this uh, Mess Becca Gutierrez Schaefer? It is. Hi there. I'm Nathaniel Goodman with the Biggie Broodcast. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Alrighty. So, first of all, I'd like to thank you for coming on with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, um, what have you been up to since you graduated from PHS? <laughs> so, I graduated in 1997. So, I've, I've been up to quite a bit, actually. Um, the year after I graduated, I spent in Italy um, as a youth ambassador for the Rotary Club. And I lived with another family, kind of like a like a foreign exchange student. And I lived with another family and then spent a little over 12 months there. And after that, moved to Austin. Um, I attended ACC or Austin Community College for a few semesters and then transferred to University of Texas, where I studied art and anthropology and eventually moved to a small town west of Austin called Marble Falls. Um, where I've lived since then, and uh, it's, I thought I would, had had kind of checked off living in a small town in Texas from my list of life things to do after leaving Pleasanton, although I had a really good upbringing there, but I found myself here for the last 15 years, and it's been quite an adventure here too, so, uh, so I, I love traveling and seeing the world and meeting people from all over the world as much as I can, but at the same time, I really appreciate living in Texas, and and it's really true that Texans are very friendly, and there's a lot of good things about living here, so that's, that's a quick update. I'm also a mom. I've got a 12-year-old girl who's in seventh grade. Oh, wow. That, that sounds wonderful, man. Thank that's like you. the life I'm looking for. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. Well, have an adventure. Life's an adventure. That's my best Although we didn't really have a culinary arts back in the 90s here at PHS, did you take any courses that kind of put you on to the career path of um, culinary arts? You know, I would have never in my life thought that I would end up working as a chef or owning a catering company. Um, but what I do say is definitely a gosh, uh, uh, the beginnings of, of what came to be with my art uh, career, quote unquote, at in Pleasanton, starting with Miss Kutzer, Sharon Kutzer, who was my um, junior high art teacher, and also the theater department. And I would also say that taking journalism and having a strong background in journalism and writing and also history at uh, Pleasanton High School was something that was really important. Also, gifted and talented classes. I had Tracy Weinberg, um, who left when we were in junior high, um, and I'm I'm still friends with him. I'm still friends with so many of my teachers. But those kinds of classes really helped me start to think in a different way, think outside the box. I had really encouraging teachers in Pleasanton and both junior high and high school. Um, who really gave me many opportunities to explore what I was good at, explore things that were outside of the classroom, put a lot of practical 
um, situations in my hands, such as a play, such as building a set, such as being on stage, um, also editing the newspaper and writing. Um, a great history teachers gave me a sense of importance of other cultures and how even in a small town, um, other people all over the world interact, interacted, I suppose, with me um, through their actions and choices. And I interacted with them through my actions and choices. So these were all things that amount eventually to me um, being a really successful caterer and chef. <laughs> wow, that is amazing, goodness. That sounds similar to how we have it here nowadays. A lot of the teachers always support us. You know, they introduce us to different things. It's insane. Yeah, and I really think that I had an amazing education in Pleasanton. I definitely choose public education as my child's educational path because I had such a strong education myself um, in a small town in, in Pleasanton, Texas, and, and I was given so many opportunities through school, through extracurriculars, and again, just teachers believing in me, seeing that I was capable of something and showing me different avenues to push beyond what was only expected. And I think that that taught me that life can be really interesting and that there's a big world out there and that you can create something from nothing if you dream it. And those were the things that set me off into the world and helped me be brave and learn how to say yes in life. And it's really helped me create a lot of opportunities on my own since leaving Pleasanton. And I hope that I can instill a lot of that in my own child. And I'm excited when she has teachers that do the same thing for her. I, I honestly love, like you were saying, the public education small town because uh -huh. it feels a little bit closer, I guess you'd say, to uh -huh. like, like if you were to go San Antonio is the closest example I have, but you know, it's rather than a bunch of people in one school, it's a community based around uh -huh. the school. Yeah, I think that that's really key and that's really important to to point out, I say that a lot actually, so it's interesting that you picked up on it, but I had so many adults around me that gave me opportunities that I don't think I would have had in a city. So I moved to Pleasanton when I was in sixth grade from Fort Worth, and I was, honestly, I was really sad to leave Fort Worth. We had a really great school, we had a really great life, um, and I was really confused about why we were moving to this small town um, it was much smaller then, and my dad was the principal at Poteet High School, and I was given a choice whether to go to school in Poteet or Pleasanton, and I really don't even remember making the choice that I ended up in Pleasanton, and I just was, I had decided I wasn't going to like it, and <laughs> my teachers were really the ones that turned it around, and, and two of my very best friends were, are, you know, are still a huge part of my life. I met them when I moved there one in art class and one in my GT classes. And like I said, my, my teacher, a lot of my teachers are, I'm still friends with, but you know, I don't know if, if I lived in a city, I don't know if I would have had a theater teacher or a community theater director say, Hey, it seems like you're good at art. Do you want to paint a set with me? Or, um, had a, a newspaper, a small town newspaper say, Hey, I noticed you're very good at writing. Um, in the journalism department at your high school, would you like a job writing for the newspaper? And really that was, besides babysitting, my first job was writing for the Pleasanton Express. And I was a nerd and I went to <laughs> all the school I was, and I, and I still am, and it, it helped me build a really cool life. But um, I would go to the school board meetings and the city council meetings by myself on my own, even before I could drive, and uh, really was one of the only people in attendance in the audience and so the Express knew that and wondered if I might also decide to write a story for them in the paper after each meeting and I got paid ten dollars an hour which was a lot of money then and it's actually good money now Holy and um, yeah that was my first job but I just don't know if I would have gotten the same opportunities 
um, and made the same connections in a in a in a larger town. But in a small town, you like you said, you have a community around you that um, can help boost you up and and teach you things. And I've been able to apply all of those lessons and all of those opportunities in the world beyond Pleasanton. So, I mean, I, I, I feel so lucky I was raised there and that I had so many people around me that could see my potential and encourage me. And I learned so much because of that. You know, everywhere you go has its own sense of beauty and its own charm and its own best thing. And so I think in a small town, one of the best things that you can discover about about it is the is the community. And I would encourage all the kids in Pleasanton High School from here on out to really do your best to seek out opportunities within the community and with within adults that you know. And it and it doesn't have to be what you end up doing for the rest of your life either. Um, but just you know, you have more of an opportunity to meet adults around you that are talented and experts in their own fields it might be ranching it might be electronics it might be i mean there's so many things that it might be but they've got a skill set and you can actually meet them and attach yourself to them and they will be eager to you know to, to teach you and i really like i said i i actually I, I guess i should mention this too after i moved to austin i actually did professional stage managing um, and all of that came from my background in theater at Pleasanton High School and in, in junior high, I also did a lot of work at the community theaters in town. Um, and it ended up turning into a, a job of something I got paid to do. And in Pleasanton, I was mostly on the stage. I was mostly performing, but also doing sets, like I've said, and and different things like that, technical theater and, and um, stage makeup and things like that. But again, that turned into a career. So there's so many things. And really back to the culinary arts, I always say that when I moved to Marble Falls, the next small town that I lived in, um, in, in Texas, I wasn't able to get a job, you know, an actual paying job doing theater. And so the joke is that I created my own theater troupe in Marble Falls through catering. and. Sometimes people don't know what catering is, but catering is basically preparing food for events or a party. So if someone gets married or has a quinceanera or an event of some kind, they might hire a caterer to create the food mm -hmm. and sometimes the decoration or the atmosphere for that party. And sometimes I would do uh, party planning and, and um, things like that also. And, hire the entertainment, the music, or whatever needed to happen, uh, arrange the flowers and, and things like that, the other vendors. So um, really, I applied all of my theater knowledge and skills to building a business within food. Um, and it, honestly, it was, it was catering is theater with food. That's all it is. You've got the back of the house crew, which is, you know, the cooks and, and, and everyone that works in the kitchen and they're basically the tech crew in a theater company. And then you've got the performers that, who are the servers that go out and uh, interact with the guests and the, the people eating your food. And then I was there kind of both directing and stage managing um, and, and, and as the executive chef I was creating. So I was using my art background that again started blossoming in, in Pleasanton <laughs> to create food and my, my flavor profiles as a chef are very similar to the way I paint. So a lot of bold flavors, just like I would use bold colors and bold textures, like I would use bold um, visual textures also um, that blended really well with interesting pops. I mean, it's all the same. I could be describing my artwork or my food. So it really did all start in Pleasanton and it really did all start with um, opportunities that I was given by really cool adults that were there. Honestly, that sounds amazing. Thanks. And speaking of your catering, what exactly inspired you to um, enter the field of work? Originally, when I came home from um, living in Italy, I didn't have much of a plan, quite frankly. I knew I was going to go to college. I had chosen to go to 
live in Italy as opposed to go to study at New York University. I, I knew I wanted to leave and go far away and not because I was running away from Pleasanton, just because I wanted to explore the world um, and see and, you know, and, and see the world. So it wasn't a runaway thing, but it was just I, I wanted to take that time to explore the world. But I had decided to go to Italy instead of go to New York and be a little bit more sensible with college and, and settle at a state school once I came back. So I moved to Austin and got a job. And the job was at a company called Armstrong McCall. And I was it was a beauty supply distributing company. It had nothing to do with what I imagined I wanted to do. It was just a job, but it was a it was a really interesting job. Um, I learned a lot about business from just being in that environment. And I was the only kid, so to speak, there. I was 19 and um, just a file clerk at first and kind of started moving up. But the office itself was full of beautiful art, original art. And I was sort of the only one besides the owner who appreciated it and recognized the artist. And I could speak to the owner who was very intimidating to me at first. Um, I could speak to him about the art. And I think that made me stand out a little bit. And so eventually I had worked there for a couple of years and she said one day, hey, Becca, um, I was wondering if you wanted to start working for me as my private chef. And I said, well, what, what would that mean? He said, well, I'm building an estate on the Perdinalis River outside of Austin. And I just thought that you might want to move there to the estate and it'll be the easiest gig you ever have because all we'll do is, you know, travel and, you know, and, and I won't be there very often. You'll be in school and I won't be there very often when I'm there. You know, you can cook for me, cook my meals for me. And when I'm not there, you can just make sure the estate is running and all of the employees and maintenance people are doing their jobs and things like that kind of manage the property. And I said, okay, sure. And, I, you know, I thought that he really liked my food because we had become buddies and he was... Um, alone he didn't have a family and I would bring him leftovers for lunch sometimes just I would bring my leftovers for lunch and heat him up in the microwave and he always liked the way it smelled so I'd give him a bite and then it's turned into me bringing him a little extra of my dinner for his lunch every once in a while so I thought he thought I was a good cook <laughs> and I decided to move out and do this job and everybody said what are you doing I said I don't know I'm just gonna go so I was in art school at UT by then, and art and anthropology, I guess. I was studying art and anthropology. Anthropology is the study of cultures, the study of people. And he would call me on the phone and say, hey, Becca, and Willie's coming for dinner. And I'll say, okay. And it might be Willie Nelson, or, I mean, we entertained a lot of really famous people and they that were his friends, and that was normal to me all of a sudden. It was not intimidating and not scary. and we were just going to have chicken that night. I mean, I didn't really <laughs> think anything about it. You know, it was just normal. And I always said I was too naive to be scared. And so I started um, planning parties for him, not necessarily catering them, but it gave me a little bit of knowledge about how to do it. And again, I didn't know how to do it. I just said yes. And I started working on it. So fast forward and I uh, became a woman's personal assistant and she owned a venue, a destination um, retreat venue and they did weddings and things and she had a really exquisite style of entertaining and I learned a lot from her. She would train me on how she liked to throw her personal parties and that was a really good education and I got to meet a lot of neat people and, and eventually her friends caught on and started realizing that I could help them with their parties and all of a sudden all of my college friends were basically putting themselves through college by helping me with these parties and it was great and eventually i moved to marble falls to be the wedding coordinator at my um, boss venue and um, moved to marble falls and lived on the property and ended up transitioning into the kitchen and that was a complete education and amazing and then if I could fast forward a few more years, um, I was married at the time and we needed, we needed income. And I knew that we could both pull off this task. I knew that we could both, we both had the skill set um, to do this. And I said, we're going to make a, a catering company. And he said, how are we going to do that? And I said, I don't know. 
that lo and behold, my first big client became the same person that I was the private chef for when I was 19. And that's just the way the universe works and God works. And that I, I, it was just something I knew I could do. I got a gig and I jumped in and that's honest to God how it started. And then people kept calling. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) They just kept calling. And um, and we had more and more gigs. And a month later, I was on a private jet going to you know my client's ranch in Uvalde, Texas, actually, and getting flown different places to do these parties and do large-scale events and private chef work. And I just kept saying yes and yes and yes. And it led me to more and more opportunities. And that was exactly 10 years ago. Wow. And I've recently retired from catering. I, I, that's the way I'm saying it. I'm only 41. I'm going to be 42 next week. But the um, so I'm saying it kind of facetiously. But I've recently retired uh, from catering. Although yesterday we fed 800 people in my town now because we were very affected by the uh, winter storm and and a lot of people are still without water and power. Um, and tomorrow I'm doing the same thing. So I'm still you know I'm, I'm still working with food and on a big scale when it when it's helpful i guess but it was just time for a change of pace and change of lifestyle i think and to start using my brain and my body and my uh or or my brain and my wisdom i guess instead of my body if that makes (laughs) sense to uh to in in my life and, and just in my career path um because catering is and any kind of chef work any kind of chef work is very physical um, and so it was just really time to change gears and I'm really excited about that too. Well, congratulations on the retirement and a happy early birthday. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I understand how physical cooking is. Um, I cook for fun for, for my family and the culinary program here. Um, yeah. So I have my fair share of the culinary arts, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's uh, fantastic. What are your goals as a as a in the culinary department? I'm interviewing you now. I'm using oh, my I'm using my journalism skills from Pleasant and <laughs> High School. What do you what do you have a goal with the culinary department? Um, honestly, um, I'm taking it mostly because I've always cooked as like a stress relief if I want to have fun. Ah, and I used to want to open a restaurant, but then I realized <laughs> it's one of those you do what you want for fun as your job. It's not yeah. fun anymore. Yeah, it's that's actually really interesting. Yeah, to to understand restaurant work. I don't. I've never owned a restaurant, but my former business partner did, and or does, I guess. And it's hard work. It's crazy. You're married to your restaurant. Um, yeah. So it's interesting in my career examining different passions of mine because I'm. I do have a lot of passions and um, interests. But discovering them, uh, al- discovering along the way which ones are something that I actually want to market and use as some kind of income um, vehicle versus something that I just want to be passionate about and learn about and enjoy, like you're saying, with, hmm. work, with, with cooking. So I think that that's a really valuable practice for you and for anybody. Um, I think that there's a lot of pressure to monetize anything you're interested in right now. So anyone that has any talent, oh, you, you should turn that into a business. You should sell that. Or, oh, you you know, you could do that. You could make a podcast about that or you could do this. And there's so much pressure to monetize everything um, now. And I, I just don't think that that's necessarily wise to do with all of our passions. So I think you're wise to already know that. What's been like the most prominent challenge in the um, food industry that you've experienced? There's so many challenges. Um, time is a really huge challenge that you have to face in the culinary world. So I'm still getting used to the idea of having weekends. I mean, it's only been two, I mean, not even two months that I've been quote unquote retired, but um, I've never had weekends free. I've never had holidays free. I've never thought, what am I gonna do for 4th of July. I've wondered what client will I be serving for 4th of July? And raising kids and having relationships in that reality is really hard. It's very hard on family life. 
Um, my kiddo is old enough now to be at, at almost every gig with me um, and help. Help. She's an amazing um, sous chef at this point, honestly. But it was very difficult when she was younger. I didn't have a lot of help out. I didn't have a lot of help in general with her. So she has slept in the closets of my client's homes. You know, she's, I mean, she's, she's been sick in my suburban while I'm at a gig and she's all set up with, you know, uh, sleeping bags and books and all kinds of things. So we've, it, it's hard and any chef will tell you that. And the timing is really hard and there, there are a lot of challenges. Um, personalities are hard. A lot of chefs are very uh, grouchy, quite frankly. Um, and I used <laughs> to not understand why, but it's because it's hard. It's, I always say it's, it's so physically demanding what you're being asked to do with impossible hours and you're on a slick fo floor and there's fire and knives. I mean, that's why you're grouchy, right? It's just so hard. <laughs> Anyone would be. Yeah, and it's very hard. And so just personality conflicts are a real, um, it's very challenging in most kitchens. Something I'm very good at is kind of creating harmony. I think that was one of my, uh, that's one of my gifts as, as a leader. But um, that also takes a lot of energy. And in the last year, it's been so challenging with COVID, whether you're a caterer like me or anyone in food service, anyone, because there's just been such a, you know, first there was, there was absolutely no work and no way to work and generate income. Then when we were asked to come back into the workplace, it was so unfair really um, to be asked to come back into the world workplace. But uh, so that people could be entertained really in some ways, but with very little protection for ourselves, um, societally and so many people, um, uh, being so disrespectful to us, I'm going to say that the food industry, um, concerning mask wearing and protection and safety and things like that. So it, I know a lot of chefs that have gotten very burned out over the last year. Um, just feeling very um, disrespected and under acknowledged for our work within the COVID reality um, and the dangers that it's presented and feeling really um, under just underappreciated um, in a big way. And it's scary, honestly. You're in a close quarters. I mean, everybody on my team has all I've required masks and stuff like that. But it, it you know, at a as a caterer um, at parties, zero humans have worn a mask uh, as a guest. Zero Jeez. in a year. Zero. And so every time I, I was nimble and transitioned to mostly delivering, which I didn't think was going to work, but then it did for some reason. I guess people were just thankful to have um, food. And I live in a resort community now, so most of my clients are very high end and, and prefer good service, which I prefer to give, but I just had to really make a decision about my safety versus my income. And I chose safety and they still chose to hire me for the most part. So um, there were, but there were lots of events that I did sort of, you know, negotiate my own health and safety for, and I didn't like it, but I did it. And I'm telling you zero people in masks. And, and that's just a reality because they're having a party and eating and drinking and and probably not particularly concerned in their normal lives that they're choosing to gather in a large group at, right now. Um, and it was really scary and it wasn't pleasant. So that was that definitely um, played into my decision. It wasn't it wasn't the only reason why I decided to quote unquote retire, but it, it definitely played into that. Just making some big decisions about what my priorities are right now. Yeah. And you said you've spent about 10 years doing this, right? Yeah, I've spent about 10 years doing this and built it from nothing. And I mean, we didn't have an extra pot or pan when I, I whispered it on Facebook. That's what I always say. I whispered that we were going to, I'm, I'm starting to cater and do parties now. And somebody called 
and that's how I got the gig. And I knew how to do it. I knew in my, you know, I had a concept because I had lived and worked at that venue that I talked about in Marble Falls. It's called The Retreat at Balcony Springs. And I had really gotten um, my, my education in it all was through the owner of that property who I was a private, or I, I'm sorry, I was her personal assistant. And just living there and working there and kind of living and breathing events was my training. And so I just knew I could do it on my own, but I didn't exactly know how, but I did it. You just have to say yes. And it turned into a really great business. So has there ever been like one experience you always think back to as like the most rewarding or the most positive in the 10 years you've worked? Yeah, definitely. One of my favorite get, well, there's so many, first of all. And, and I would say that my favorite part of my business has been to have the opportunity to meet so many amazing people, both people that I have served and also people that I've served with um, and had the opportunity to get to know as co-workers. I have loved being able to provide really great work and hopefully good wages to many people. That's been something that's so passionate to me because I needed work when I started the business. And so I, I've really enjoyed being able to give other people work. And I always loved being able to serve people who were doing a lot of good. And one of those groups was called Yushahidi, which means uh, which means witness in Swahili. So, you know, sometimes we all get these phone calls um, that say that it's from, I don't know, somewhere far away, or we get these emails from these different countries. This is, I'm your uncle in Africa, and you know, you're gonna inherit all this money. And it's all like a scam, right? And so I got uh, an email from my website from a group that was coming from Kenya. And I thought, no way, you know, no way. And all of a sudden I got a phone call from Kenya. And I said, what is this? And so funny enough, actually, I contacted my friend from Pleasanton High School, who, I, who grew up across the street from me, Lindsay Watts, who is a, a genius. She's just brilliant. And, and she is an international expert, security expert. I'll call her an international security expert, PHS grad from 98. And I knew that she would know if, or be able to find out if this group from Kenya was legit. So I said, hey, Lindsay, do you know anything about this group? She said, hold on. And she found out, she said, yeah, they're the good guys, take care of them. I said, okay. So what ended up happening was they are a group from Kenya. They created an organization because it, it was so dangerous for so many people in Africa to vote safely because they might be migrating for miles and miles and miles, even on foot sometimes, and get stopped by some kind of warlord or someone who wanted to inflict violence in order for them to not vote or to vote, they wanted them to vote a certain way. And so they created this organization, like I said, called called Yushahidi, which means witness, to be able to help people vote, find a place to vote safely, um, and also to document atrocities, both man-made and naturally made such like an earthquake or something like that, um, and get the help that they needed. And it's become this huge organization that is recognized by the UN and they're doing amazing things. So anyway, they do a huge retreat with all of their um, sort of like executives, I guess, from all over the world at different places. And funny enough, the year before, they had gone to a castle in Italy and this year they happened to rent a luxury ranch in Johnson City, Texas, which is not very far from where I live. And so I got to spend, oh, I don't know if it was a week or 10 days with them. And it was so amazing to be able to be a small part of the, these incredible people who were literally changing the world, working in Africa, but also Pakistan and all kinds of places that in the Middle East and in all over the world that are having so many issues and problems and, and um, challenges. And so just to be able to feed them and nurture them through this week together so that they could 
continue to solve these really difficult problems and make the world more peaceful was a real honor. And I'm still friends with a lot of them. So I can't wait to go travel to Kenya one day and get to visit them. You have an amazing life. I'm going to say that now. <laughs> it's been fun. It's a good, it's a good life. Let, let your life be an adventure and it will be. That's what I say. Oh yeah, that's what I'm working on. I'm uh, good. going to college and then I'm going to go from there. <laughs> yeah. Every day, every day's an adventure. See who you can meet tomorrow. You know, they can, they can add to that adventure and teach you something that you can cling on to and you never know when you're going to apply it to life. Well, if you don't mind for a second, let's talk about PHS. Um, sure. Were there any um, unique experiences you had, like something that sticks out when you think PHS? Yeah, I had, like I said, I had a really great experience um, at PHS. I was really involved in school. I think that I saw school as an opportunity. That's kind of the way I still approach anything I do. It was an opportunity. And so I wanted to make the most of my opportunity. So I was very involved. Um, I was so lucky. I was the last freshman class, I guess, of um, Mr. Brown's um, leadership. Mr. Larry Brown was the principal at Pleasanton High School for years and years, and he's a legend in Pleasanton. And so I, he was my principal my freshman year, and I just loved him. And he would walk down the hall and shake everyone's hand. And I, I saw that about him. He was not someone who disrespected anyone or picked favorites, really, or, or picked enemies. You know, he, he saw everyone as worthy of respect. And I watched him lead that way, and it inspired me to be that kind of leader. And so I was the president of the class all four years, was involved with academic decathlon and did a lot of UIL um, academic work and was on the academic teams, I guess, and a lot of theater. Um, and so I really enjoyed being up at school, doing one act play and also journalism was a big deal to me. So those were the kind of things that I just felt like really shaped me as a person. Uh, being able to not only do my academic studies, which which I loved school, so that that was uh, I you know I, I never had a problem with normal classes. I, I actually liked them, but being able to enhance what I was learning with extracurriculars was really neat for me. And I made lifelong friendships. You know, I I'm not best friends with every single person that I interacted with at Pleasanton High School anymore, but. Um, some of my very best lifelong friends I made by doing, especially by doing things with them in school, you know, doing theater, doing uh, journalism, being on a team together, something like that, being bigger together than we could be by ourselves. That sounds similar to what I've got. I've made amazing friends here. It's nice to be able to talk to someone and not think, are they going to be here next month? You know? Yeah, that's right. It's important. Is there like, the, is it the entirety of the school that made it great to you? Or was there something specific back when you attended that really made PHS your special place? You know, I think, again, I'm just going to, I keep emphasizing this, but I really mean it. I, I think I just had such great teachers that really saw my potential and I'm sure the potential of so many other kids but they really we had a very personalized education when I was there and again I think one of the terms of a small town school is that you know you might not only know the teachers in your school life you might know them in your private life too right go to church with them or um, just see them around town and and I didn't necessarily have a super close relationship with any of them outside of school we you know some, some of them we went to church with and things like that but we were still relatively new if that makes sense back then we weren't from Pleasanton but I think that I I really was able to create a community within the school because of the teachers giving me opportunities when they saw me um, 
excel at something kind of naturally, you know, oh, you're good at this, well, why don't you, why don't you do this too, you know, and, and they would just add a layer onto what I was already good at, and, um, and that just helped me sort of build a life on my own, and, and that translated to other things too, like, you know, it, uh, I got invited to go to the Rotary Club um, to a lunch because I was, I got an award, it was, I think I was the student of the month, and they asked us to go to lunch with the Rotary Club. And Gene Clement picked me up from uh, high school and, and took me and we, I went and had Rotary lunch. It was mostly old men. And I, <laughs> no offense to the old men that were in that room, but the, <laughs> but, but it was me and a bunch of old men mostly. And, um, and it was really fun. And, and eventually they started inviting me like every week. And then all of a sudden I was going to Rotary there were no other kids that went to Rotary, but I went, they asked me to go to Rotary every week. And, and so they made me a little honorary member. Uh, and that was one of the things, but again, and, and then eventually they basically, you know, created an opportunity for me to go live in Italy for a year. So I feel like, again, it's just a lot of adults around me noticed me and I, I didn't even know they were looking, you know, I didn't know. I, something I tell kids a lot when I speak, I do a lot of public speaking, and um, something that I tell a lot of, especially kids, is that you're, you're always on a job interview. You don't even know it, but you're being noticed and you don't know what you're being noticed for. And it's, you know, could be good, could be bad, could be, you know, something in between, but that's where all of my opportunities have come from, my best opportunities. Somebody noticed something I was just doing um, without some kind of, uh, expectation of it turning into anything bigger and it, and it has every time so yeah I think I think it, the teachers were really great about noticing what I was what I was good at and emphasizing that and just the the fact that in a small school we could have such a personal experience was really great for me and I understand what you're saying about the teachers they still are amazing like for example, um, I've wanted to do a podcast for, I think, two years now. Oh! Exactly. So, Mrs. Alvari put on the um, news uh, Google thing saying, we're doing a podcast. If you'd like to apply, here's she. So. <laughs> and here we are? Here we are. That, that's a great example of what I'm talking about. Like, you're obviously uh, motivated and sharp and have the desire to do this thing, but school can give you more resources, give you a different infrastructure. It's important. It's very, very, very important to have mentors, AKA teachers or whoever, right? Like to help give you structure and feedback and things like that. So it's really an interesting stage of life to be in high school to be really fresh with the knowledge that your generation is inundated with, which is so cool. My, you know, my, my kids, Gen Z also, and you guys are growing up in a completely different and really cool way compared to the way I grew up. And a lot of your teachers grew up on Gen X. And so you come with this like amazing freshness and this wisdom that we don't have We've got other wisdom, but we, we don't have what, we didn't grow up the way you're growing up. And so we don't have some of that, but if you can lean into your school and let them help support you and build your dreams, it can get bigger and better and lead to more opportunities. So I'm really proud of you. Very proud of your teacher for doing it too. That's really great. Well, thank you very much. And um, one final question before we gotta go, but. Um, sure. Is there anything you can think of that might be different about PHS back in the 90s compared to how we're going through high school here now? Yeah, I mean, I am not, I haven't even traveled to Pleasanton, quite frankly, in a couple of years. So I haven't, I, I'm not as uh, up to date, I guess, as, as I was, or, or, or as I might be if I lived there. But there's a few things that I already know that, you know, stand out um just based on my friends that still live there and also seeing my my own kids education we started getting um computers i guess 
we, we had a computer lab, we had a, um, you know, computers in the library, and, and of course in journalism, and, and, and a few different classrooms there were computers, but, you know, we still hand wrote so many essays, right? Like that, that's something that's really different. We had lockers with books, and nobody had um, a, a personal computer at their home till I was maybe a junior or senior. And in fact, one of our beloved teachers, we called him GA, his name was Gary Anderson, he started a computer company when I was in high school and I did the logo, but I hand drew the logo, if you can imagine. It was called Geek Co. And instead of Gecko and the and the motto or the logo was a was a gecko. And um, but you know, that's an example of he it was this new thing, you know, to have computers sort of everywhere in our lives. And um, he even taught a class over the summer that some of us opted to take because we were nerds and it was the internet. What is it? And I went home and taught my dad what this weird thing called the internet was, right? So that that's where we grew up. And I think that there was also a lot of interesting freedom that we had um, that I don't know that kids have anymore in school, for instance, um, also, you can imagine we didn't have cell phones. There were like no such thing as cell phones. We weren't in as constant communication with each other or also our parents. And so there were there was there was a certain amount of freedom that I actually think was kind of cool that you guys don't have um, because of that. And we had I don't know what the building is now, but it was an auditorium then, and it was the coolest auditorium I know when I was maybe a senior, we switched over in the theater department and started doing things in the cafetorium. They built a cafetorium and we started doing theater there. And it was all nice and new and pretty, but we didn't like it as, as well as the auditorium. Is that still standing? Um, kind of by the tennis courts or what was the tennis mm -hmm. court? Yeah. And it has the colored glass in it. Um, we do have like a cafeteria auditorium thing. Um, it does well, not have colored glass okay. as far as I see. So before, before, when when I was in high school, there was the anybody that's listening that was that went to school in the '90s or before remembers this auditorium, and it was like terrible and dangerous and tacky and awesome, and we loved it. And that's where we'd have assemblies, and they had the band hall in there, and it had these the windows were all colorful, like a church almost. And um, we could climb up in this really dangerous balcony and do all the technical theater from up there. And there were bats in it. So we would have a theater rehearsal, one at play rehearsal on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And at night, when the sun went down, the bats would fly around during our rehearsal. And that was just part of it. Like we never even we never even thought twice about it. So that was that was something that y'all probably don't have because everything's a little shinier and newer, I think. <laughs> but we didn't have it like that. And people, I don't know, it's just a whole different ball game, you know. For for us, we had um, we just had we had a different kind of freedom than I think y'all have in some ways. So it was it was a good place then, though, and it's a good place now, I'm sure. I like I said, I love it here. Um going three years strong i'm a junior almost as a senior and um as far as i've seen there's not many complaints about this school so <laughs> good i'm so glad well i'm very glad you were able to join us i want to thank you yeah. for coming on <laughs> you're welcome it was my pleasure i always love doing the interviews especially with the past students because it's always interesting to see different people's perspectives yeah and you know what if you if if anybody's interested, I started one of my pandemic projects was starting a YouTube channel and it's called Becca's Kitchen. And my daughter is my handy cameraman, tech support, and she's also there helping me cook. And one of the episodes, we're using a cookbook that I created in at Pleasanton Junior High. Um, and we're using a recipe out of that. And it's something that I actually refer to that cookbook so that's another thing you guys can see kind of how theater and journalism and home ec and all kinds of things came together for me on becca's kitchen and i'm really proud of you for doing what you're doing and and proud of 
your teacher for encouraging you. That's great. Thank you very much. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much. You take care. You too. You have a wonderful birthday, retirement, all of it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. One awesome look at how being in the culinary field makes PHS great. This is Nathaniel Goodman, your Biggie Broadcast host, taking flight from here in the Biggie Studio. We hope we're hoping you join us for the next episode of our brutally awesome podcast. And try to stay positive out there. We know it's crazy.